PR professionals are usually tasked with one major function, get media coverage. And if the story is just right, a primetime live interview with a prominent anchor is a home run, as long as the client knows how to effectively conduct a successful interview. Many factors are at play, from body language to bridging techniques. Sometimes conducting a powerful interview is rather challenging. Unless, of course, you have someone like Greg Greenberg asking the hard-hitting questions. Greg is a renowned anchor who has led his voice across various notable shows and is here today to discuss tactics to help your client give the best interview possible. Hi, Craig. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for having me on the show, and I really appreciate the intro. Make me sound a whole lot better than I am. Make me oh, sound good. Oh, you know, you, you know you're a rock star. Come on. <laughs> I try. <laughs> You've had quite the career. I've had the pleasure of working with you in the past. You've been a producer, a reporter for CNBC. You anchored The Street for over a decade. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in your career path and why you are passionate about this line of work. So I actually never went out to become a talking head, if you will. Uh, I went to business school in the mid-90s uh, up at Cornell, and I came back and I worked at Lehman Brothers in the late 90s, and it was in the middle of the tech bubble. And when that bubble burst, I needed to find a new gig, a new job, if you will. So one of my fallback skills was being able to write. So I got a job over at CNBC, writing the news for them. And over there, I met Jim Cramer, who a lot of folks may know as the Booyah guy and the Mad Money guy. And he brought me over to a website of his called The Street. And at the time, this is in the uh, 2002 or so, it was the advent of internet video. So I would have fund managers, mutual fund managers come on. And I would interview them on this a very basic camera set up. And as more people started watching those videos, we would get more viewers and they'd get the camera was better Then they gave me a studio. And I sort of became on the, uh, on the trail. So there was a loop. So guests would come in, fund managers and authors and CEOs, they'd go to CNBC, then they'd go to Bloomberg. Then they came on my show over at the street. Then they might go to Jon Stewart or, or somewhere else. And then so I evolved into being the, the interview guy over at the street. And then I got another job doing videos, interviewing CEOs for uh, the C-suite network. And then a little over a year ago, I got hired to interview fund managers and CEOs and authors at Investment News. And that's what I do right now to make a short story long. And you say you're not a rock star. Okay. <laughs> Once again, I try. Yeah, it, you've had a pretty cool career there. And, you know, anchoring the street and today is a multimedia anchor and editor for investment news. Finance has definitely been a prominent focus of your work. Was this a specific passion of yours? I know you said, you know, you went to business school or was this also something you kind of fell into a little bit more so once you, you know, once you started working in media? I think that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of half and half. You know, I do like the, the business arena. I love talking about Wall Street and talking to people about Wall Street. And I found that you know, when I was at Lehman Brothers, you know, selling individual securities to small funds, you know, you felt a little bit like a racetrack tout and you remove yourself from that when you're in the media. So, uh, you know, you don't have to really take a position. This stock is going to go up because of this. You don't have to really make any futuristic calls, which people can be skeptical about because no one can really tell the future. And I do have, you know, I do like speaking to people and I have a little bit of a healthy ego. And I think it, being in the journalism world is fun because every day is new and the market is ever changing. I can't say that there was a divine, you know, I had a plan, but I had all the ingredients for, for the mix that I'm currently in. So you like talking about finance though. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of fun. You, you learn a lot when you, when you're speaking about more about the markets and finance. So when you're speaking about the markets, 
you know, right now everyone's talking about AI. Yep. You know, you know, not too long ago, we were speaking about the debt ceiling. And before that, you know, we were speaking about another big thing that was going to change the world. And so you really have to be on your toes and you have to pay attention, you know, as opposed to if you're in a particular type of business, you know, whether it's the garment business, you're always talking about clothing. But if you're talking about Wall Street, you really have to be knowledgeable about a range of subjects. I'm an inquisitive person by nature, so I think it suits me well. <laughs> no, that makes so much sense. I actually, before coming to Pollock Group, I worked mainly in finance and financial services PR. Um, and you're 100% right. You hit it right on the nose. Like you have to kind of know about everything and talk about everything because anything can affect the way the market works and especially. You know, there's different markets to be accounted for and to to look into. So it's super interesting, and you definitely become a very well informed person because it's so interesting. You just kind of have try to suck in as much as you can. And I think for PR folks, it's it's quite important to be well rounded and worldly, and to be well read, especially about current events. Because when you're pitching someone like me, I get pitches, multiple pitches, all the time. So if someone reaches out to me, and one of the things that's important is if they actually know what my beat is and they know what I cover. So if they say something like, Greg, I just read your article uh, about 401ks or 529 plans, and I know that there's something coming out of Washington. So the, the, the more worldly and knowledgeable the PR person is, the better the pitch is, and the more they stroke my ego, the more likely they're, they're going to get their guest on. <laughs> Exactly. I, I bet you get some PR people that don't quite look at your work and probably pitch you on some astronomical topic that you're like, I, I don't do this. I don't cover this. So that's a great point. So one of the things I try and do is I can hear pretty early on when the PR person uh, contacting me is new to the business, because mm -hmm. sometimes they'll, they'll read from a script. They'll say, hello, Mr. Greenberg, I'm pitching this guest. But, the, you know, and then I'll stop them right there and I'll say, look, you know, it sounds like you're pretty new to this. One of the things you might want to try is you might want to say, look, I just read your article on this. You know, our guest can speak about that. And if you if you pr present your client in a knowledgeable way, which knows exactly what I do, because, you know, I get a lot of uh, computerized pitches from, you know, people that don't know what I do. And I know them immediately from the first two words and I just delete them. Yep. So it's important for PR people reaching out to me to know what I do. And I'll, and I'll let them know. If, if someone does that twice, then they're dead to me. You know what someone might not know that you do is you're a screenwriter. I, yeah, I try. Yes. Once again, I guess the theme of when you guys go out and promote this interview, this podcast, the theme of this is that Greg tried. Yes. So I did write. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing is, is that, you know, most of your, your ink stained wretches, your journalists out there, you know, they have dreams too, because they are overeducated and underpaid. So most of them will have a screenplay or a novel in their desk drawer that they're dying <laughs> to work on. So I was lucky enough, I did write a movie that was called Friends and Romans. It was in theaters and film festivals about seven, eight years ago, uh, and had a lot of the folks from The Sopranos were in it. Uh, and it was a great experience. And since then, I've written a few plays that have been up off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. I did write a book that you can find on Amazon called uh, Effing Argentina. Yep. So I, I think it's important for people to explore their creative side while they watch the news. Is that what kind of prompted you to write the, the script for Friends and Romans? Were you just sort of like in this inspirational you know, aha moment where you wanted to do something a little bit different? How did it come about? Uh, I actually, first I wrote a play called Clemenza and Tess, You Are Dead. And for theater folks out there, what they'll recognize is that's kind of a takeoff on uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead, which is a famous Tom Stoppard play. 
And what Tom Stopper does in his play is he tells the story of Hamlet from the two minor characters. So I got the idea when I was working at the street, and it was fairly random, that I could do the same thing with the movie The Godfather. So in my play, Clemenza and Tessio are dead, I rewrote the story of The Godfather from the perspective of the two minor characters, Clemenza and Tessio, who people will recognize if they're mob movie fans. And after writing that play, and when casting that particular play, I got the idea to write Friends and Romans, which was a cute little mob comedy. As an Italian from New York, my family were very big into mob movies. I've seen more than I probably needed to in my life, but I definitely will check that out because it sounds sounds really interesting. And you know, it's really cool that you get to have, be be so creative and let that energy flow into other things. But I do want to pivot back to the world of anchoring. You know, obviously, you know, you've had a lot of interviews that have stuck with you. And in your experience, what makes an interview memorable? Like what makes the interview something that you'll remember, but also that people will continue to talk about after it's aired? I like learning from the guests. So one of the things about a, a, a memorable interview is, sure, there's sometimes when the guests will say something, you know, shocking or curse or I like I like it when I learn from the guests. So uh, it's important for the the interviewer. I feel is uh, I interview a lot of best selling authors. It could be Thomas Friedman or uh, Paul Krugman, you know, or it could be you know a, an athlete or an actor who wrote a book because there's always a business story involved somewhere. So I always read the book before I have the guest on, and and that helps. And, and I do like it when when the the author or the guest tells me something I didn't know, uh, something maybe that's not in the book. So I, I think that that's a, a healthy interview from my side. And from overall, I think a successful interview uh, is when I like letting the guest speak, but I like it when the, the guest keeps it tight. So if you ever watch any of my interviews, whether it be at the street or investment news, before the the guest sits down, I generally tell them, I say, look, this is not a, a half hour uh, Charlie Rose piece. This is a video that my gen- my videos generally last around four to five minutes. So I tell them, you got to keep the answers around 25 seconds. And if I'm nodding my head, it means land the plane. Or in other words, finish your answer. Because if the guest is rambling on, I'm going to get bored. And if I'm getting bored, then the viewer is going to get bored. And one of the things also, another reason... You know, I think that my interviews are generally easy to watch is because I keep my, my questions nice and short and I don't interrupt the guest. So a lot of the folks in PR, they're going to get a guest on MSNBC or CNBC, and I'm not going to name names. But what you're going to find is you're going to have the guest interrupt. Uh, the, the anchor is going to interrupt the guest. I won't do that because I'm going to tell them ahead of time, if you keep your answer short, then there's, I'm not going to interrupt you. And I know that I just said, uh, you know, for folks to keep their answers short and then I just rambled on for the last minute. But I think it's really important. Tell your guests, tell your clients, if you're in the PR business, keep the answers 30 seconds. And hopefully, you know, the anchor will, will keep their questions short as well. Nice, tight interviews. People love those. Well, it me, but it depends on the reporter, I think, too. And, and you kind of sound like a dream reporter in that regard. You're going to tell the guests exactly what they need to know before going into the interview. But what would be some of your advice for maybe somebody that's going on a primetime live interview on, on CNBC, to, you know, as an example, and that reporter is a little bit aggressive and does talk over them. How do you, what would be your advice for them to kind of like redirect their, their answers and get kind of get back on track and get confident in sort of, you know, responding and, and not being bullied a little bit by this reporter? Another great question. So I can't name names, but there are some reporters or interviewers who just love to interrupt the guest and throw them and throw them off. The first and best way is to not allow that to happen 
is once again to keep your answers tight. So if you do that, then the, the, the anchor can interrupt this quickly. The other thing is, though, is if you have a, uh, an anchor who interrupts, slow down a little bit. Just kind of, you know, wait and, and take a beat, as they would say in, in, the, in the film or, or the theater business. And then it kind of forces that, the anchor to, uh, to back off. If, you, uh, if someone interrupts and then all of a sudden you, you've, you're trying to speak really quickly to find your footing, then the whole interview is just going to go awry. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I know there are also many budding reporters that are attracted to the energy of working behind a camera. Can you give us a realistic overview of a day in the life of an anchor? So when I was at the street and still investment news, you know, I would get a whole lot of emails from people saying, you know, I really want to to be an anchor. I want to report the news. And, And it was a lot of folks that wanted to be on camera. And, and, you know, quite frankly, for a long time, it was hard to be on camera. There weren't that many spots. So people would go to journalism school and then they'd have to go out to Iowa and some small stations out there and work their way back to New York. Because of, of the way I came up in the business, it was almost a fluke is all of a sudden with, in, with the Internet and Internet video, it opened up for me in New York. And I had a little bit of a knowledge base about Wall Street and finance, which also helped me move up through the through the ranks in New York. But nowadays, people with cameras are everywhere. So if you want to be an anchor, you can start your own show online. It's just harder to, to, to get big name guests. But so nowadays, I, I think it's, it's, it's open for people who really want to get in the business. It's hard to find guests, big name guests that are really going to blow you up. But you know, I, I think the, the world has changed. And the other thing is, is that for a long time, people had to come into the studio with me. And now because of Zoom and, and you can speak to people all over the place. I do my interviews right now in person at, at the NASDAQ. And it's almost like an anomaly, the fact that I have the guests sit down next to me, which I find I get a better interview that way. So I, I do think that there's opportunities out there for, for folks who want to be anchors. But the one thing they're going to have to realize is, is that because there's so many places to watch these things now, you might not get that many views and you're going to have to be uh, satisfied with with less views. Right. I mean, what do you think, like TikTok or, you know, Instagram is like a platform for people? Are people still on YouTube? If if, if somebody did kind of want to start their their own anchoring or their own show, what would be like the first step in really doing something like that? So I don't really know that much about TikTok other than my my kids are on it all the time. Now, with with regard to Instagram, I know that that's popular uh, and there's a lot of people who, who are on that in terms of just sheer numbers. But, you know, for what I do in terms of relatively in-depth interviews, once again, I don't think that's a spot for longer content. YouTube has a lot of, uh, of longer content you can watch. But, you know, once again, my my view is, is that these videos should be in the you know, four to five minute range at the most because there's no attention spans anymore. That's extremely true. Even my daughter, she's only two. If you, <laughs> you have about two and a half seconds before you lose her. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, you know like I said, it's, it's, it's a tight space. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, you know, as one of the anchors, you know, I, I say, um, I, I tell a lot of my friends who they see me on LinkedIn and some of these other places, you know, I have whatever hundreds of millions of, of people who've watched my videos, but I'm not that that well-known. I, I say I'm, I'm the famous, most famous person that no one knows because there's, there's a whole lot of people who watch my videos, but I keep them nice and tight and they might not even know who I am. And I guess that's good and it's bad, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, you're getting the information you need. And, and in today's world, you know, people are going at 100 miles a minute and have 50 million things going on, especially, you know, I know a lot of still people still are working from home. So, you know, it's good to have that short time frame because they're getting the information they need and focusing on the main points. And hopefully after this podcast, they'll know your name huh. a little bit better. But, it's fine. You know, you know look, the people... The people in my industry, you know, I kid you, the people in, in my industry, they, they know me fairly well because I've been doing this for a long time. But when it comes to, you know, a finance story, the general audience is not, you know, tuning in to listen to me interview someone about ETFs or mutual funds or alternative investments. So generally, if you want to be a big star in the, in the, you know, in the industry, you're going to need to get a big get like, I don't know, Kim Kardashian or, or someone like that. And, you know, that's the, those gets are hard to get. True. Um, you know, Kim Kardashian, you know, she's coming on our show next week. So, you know. Oh, my God. Look at that. Yeah. Actually, gonna... she, she's actually opening for Taylor Swift. Nice. Yes. I'd love to book yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. I have one more question for you, because I want to go back to what you said before about the book, F in Argentina, because I remember when you wrote this book, I think you wrote it during COVID, right? Yes. So it's, it's th thank you for remembering it. So I generally write screenplays and plays. But during COVID, I wasn't sure whether that anyone's going to be on stage again. So I wrote a book of short stories. It's effing, you know, as in the curse word, Argentina and 10 more tales of exasperation. Uh, and it's about things that frustrate you. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's, it's really cute. And I think that folks would get a, a big kick out of it. Yes, we'll be sure to plug it. It's fantastic. Friends and Romans is fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear whether you're drafting a movie script or prepping your client for a primetime interview. One thing is for sure, know your message. So thank you so much for your input today, Greg. I'm so honored that you came on our show and you know we'll be on the lookout for your next movie or, or book in that case. I appreciate the plugs. I think this is a fantastic experiences and keep up the good work, folks. Thank you. Thank you. We'll make you proud. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye, Greg. To our listeners, thanks for joining us today. Have a guest you'd like to recommend or just want to tell Callie and I how amazing you think we are? You're in luck. Drop us a line at impressionsapologroup.com. Bye for now.